0: Well, good morning. You know, often I you go someplace and you say good morning, you get no response. I got response. This is awesome already. I like it. Um, welcome here. Thanks for being here. Um, I know some of you may be guests here today. Uh, my mom actually is a guest here today. She doesn't normally come to the Agassiz campus. And uh, I kind of, I was... Didn't give her very clear directions to get here, though I did mention Pioneer Avenue. So when she hit Kilby's store, she knew she'd gone too far had to turn around. But anyway, glad you all made it. It's all good. So, you know, uh, few of us will ever have the chance to openly barter with God. The passage we will look at today deals with, with Abraham doing exactly that. Now, as you recall, over the past while, we've been learning about Abram. And uh, let, let's just review a quick snapshot of his life journey so far. Abram was living in Ur, and God called him to head out for the land of promise. Abram was 70 years old. He receives a promise that he will be a great nation. He settles for a short while in Haran with his father, Terah, and nephew, Lot. And when he was 75 years old, he left there and he headed for the land of Canaan. After a brief stay in Egypt, he returns and divides up the use of the land with Lot. Lot chooses the Jordan Valley and leaving Abram with Canaan. Now, after Lot separated from Abram, God said to Abram that his offspring would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now, obviously, this is a bit of a hyperbole, but it's a big number. We see that. Abram has a brief military role in fighting some kings and while rescuing his nephew, Lot. He receives a blessing from Melchizedek, and then he receives God's second covenant with him, which is that his descendants will be as numerous as the star's. Again, using hyperbole, but again, a pretty big number. Abram was going to be serious here. Sarai, Abram's wife, she can't conceive. So Abram takes matters into his own hands. He sleeps with their maidservant, Hagar, gets pregnant, and gives birth to Ishmael. When Abram was 99 years old, once again, God calls to him in a third covenant, promising he will be the father of many nations. With this declaration, he changes Abram's name to Abraham, and instructs him that the sign of the covenant will be that all males will be circumcised. Abram was 99 years old. Ishmael was 13. Every man and boy under Abram's uh, kind of direction were ordered to be circumcised. I don't know, but that'd be an exciting day. That's all I can say. God also changes Sarai's name to Sarah and promises her a son who will they name Isaac. She's 90 years old. Short while after this, God the Son and two angels happened along the path by Abraham's tent. He feeds them. The Lord tells Abraham that a year from then, Sarah will have the son. Abraham is old, and Sarah is past her reproductive period of life, so she scoffs at the idea of conception. This was her opportunity to understand that nothing is too great for the Lord. So after their, their meal and declaration regarding Isaac, the three men get up to leave, Abraham joins them as they head towards Sodom. And this is where we find our passage today. If you do have your Bible with you, just open up to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis, first book of the Bible, written by Moses about 600 years after the account. Genesis 18. My wife says I can't do this without my glasses. I'm going to prove her wrong. Here we go. Genesis 18, verse 16 to 33. Then the men set out from there, And they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed swipe away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city, will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let the, not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word, all written a long time ago, Lord, we just pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us, and, uh, and just really impact us here this morning in your name. Amen. I have to say right from the uh, start that this is going to be a little bit of a heavy sermon. You know, if there's some of you that don't believe in this whole God thing, I'm glad you're here today. I really am. I, uh, and this might sound a little bit weird, but, but I believe that the, the 66 books that we find here in this old document, that uh, although written many years ago, they have truths for us to learn today. And I just, just ask that uh, we we'll all just kind of sit here with an open mind. You will recall from last week that this party of three men that came along Abraham included two heavenly beings and the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, or Jesus Christ. There's only a few recorded times when Christ shows up in human form in the Old Testament. These are called Christophanies. And this account in Genesis with Abraham is marvelous. Not only does does Abraham get to sit down and share a meal with the Lord, with Jesus, but he engages in a bit of a barter with him. Now, when I read through this, there's two questions that I'd love to be answered. One is, why did Jesus choose to disclose to Abraham his plan for Sodom and Gomorrah? And the second question is, why did Jesus engage with Abraham in his barter or intercession for Sodom? I'd like to discuss the second question first. Why did Jesus engage with Abraham? I'm not very good at bartering, especially in countries where it's the norm. A couple of years ago in Ethiopia, I was pretty proud of a little basket I bought. And then my friend walks up with three baskets that he bought for the same price that I paid for the one. It's one of those things that, you know, I figure if someone's asking a certain price for their wares, you know, I can take it or leave it. And if ever I do see myself engaging in a barter situation, um, I want to make sure it's something worthwhile. Abraham chooses to appeal to the Son of God in this barter situation. He was looking to change his mind. He must have felt some pretty strong conviction. Now, now let's remember that this account happens just a short while, possibly within a week even, of, of that previous uh, when, short time when God makes that covenant with Abraham and instructs him to be circumcised. Now, I don't want to make too big of this, but I don't know about you guys in the crowd, but if there is a worthwhile reason to barter with God a reason to ask God to change his mind, I think I would have chosen that one. Circumcision, huh? You know, oh Lord, You're loving and compassionate, you know, perhaps a simple tattoo might mark the covenant, you know, Uh, maybe a special ear piercing, maybe a special secret handshake, you know, but no, it's circumcision, and Abraham, unlike me, takes it like a man. And yet here we see Abraham's concern for the people of Sodom to be strong enough to engage the Lord. Abraham obviously has a sincere concern for people. He has a desire not to see the people of Sodom destroyed. His conviction is great. Greater than avoiding the discomfort of circumcision and to see the people of Sodom live. When I first read this, I immediately kind of, you know, maybe I watched too many movies, but I, I, I saw Abraham's trying to kind of be a smooth talker with God. You know, kind of doing the salesman, slip, salesman thing. Maybe I can manipulate God. But upon further reflection, I don't think that's a situation here at all. Abraham is beginning to understand who God is. Not by reading his Bible, because of course that hadn't been written yet, but by personal exchanges and observation. Abraham has a very real submissive posture of this God. This is God, and I am his creation. He's realizing that God established the moral order, and that there is right and wrong. So when God reveals to Abram, or Abraham, sorry, that Sodom and Gomorrah will be destroyed because of their obscene morality or lack thereof, Abraham doesn't appeal to God that it, you know, it, it, this isn't fair. He doesn't argue that maybe the Sodomites, you know, what they're doing isn't really wrong. He doesn't suggest to God that you know maybe what you think is right isn't necessarily right for them. Now, Abraham recognizes in the presence of God that there is a right and there is a wrong. Now, Abraham appeals to some of the characteristics of God right away. Namely, like in verse 22, Abraham says, Abraham still stood before the Lord. He recognized that God is approachable. In verse 23, he says, will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? He sees God is righteous. In verse 25, he says, Shall not the judge of the whole earth do what is just? He recognized God is a just God. In verse 27, he says, I who am but dust and ashes, Abraham recognizes God is his creator. It's interesting that he's gained so much understanding, you know, despite not having the Bible or to read, or, or thousands of other books for that matter, that teaching about the attributes of God that we have at our fingertips today. I believe that Abraham knew. The enormity of appealing to God, but he cared so much in humanity that he's willing to take the chance. He certainly seemed to recognize that being righteous was noteworthy. So, what is righteousness anyway? Well, by the work of God through faith in him, we are made righteous. Let's say that again by the work of God through faith in him, we are made righteous. This is our new status. Similar to justification that we receive when we become Christians, this is a state of righteousness we assume upon confession of faith in God. So when we become a Christian, we are justified. We know that. It's just as if we've never sinned. We receive the righteousness of God, so we are called righteous. We recognize that despite our being justified and found righteous, that we will continue to sin, But through the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in each of our lives, as we repent of that and turn from that, we are sanctified, which is made more Christ-like. So this position of righteousness is not upon us, it is something that is given to us by God. In Romans 3, 10 verse 12, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good not even one. None is righteous. This was the state of the people of Sodom. These were unrighteous people. This is the same state of any of us prior to our conversion. We are not righteous. If you're like me, you may have wondered over the time, you know, how people in the Old Testament, how they were saved. You know, people living before the time of Jesus. You know, after all, we know that John fourteen six says, I mean, Jesus himself replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, we know that in this case, these people weren't aware of Jesus Christ, so how did that happen? Well, Abraham trusted the promises of God, and he demonstrated his faith in God, and Abraham's belief, his faith, made him righteous in God's eyes. Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed in God, it was counted to him as Righteousness. James 2:23: Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So people living prior to the time of Christ were still saved through faith in God, and faith in the promise of the coming Messiah. They may not have enjoyed as big a picture as we have today, as complete a picture. We have the, the privilege of, of the document, the Bible. But, uh, but the people of Sodom would still have had to exercise belief in, in God by faith as we do now. Ephesians 2:8 says, "For by grace you've been saved through faith." As we demonstrate this faith, through confession, we receive the righteousness of God. Now Abraham already recognizes this expectation of righteousness before a holy God. His faith was considered his righteousness, and we know that Abraham... Wasn't perfect. We know that over the last couple of weeks Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister a couple of times. Abraham agreed to sleeping with his servant Hagar against God's wishes to conceive a son. I imagine Abraham had many other shortcomings similar to us today, pride, ego. I bet you even got angry once in a while, you know, lost his temper. I don't know. He was human, he wasn't perfect. So when he begins his appeal to God, he doesn't do so expecting the people of Sodom to be perfect. He recognizes they may not be righteous but they still have a chance to seek God. Abraham knew what was going on in Sodom. His nephew not Lot lived there and he likely visited Abraham periodically. In verse 20 we read then the Lord said because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. The outcry was great. The outcry, this isn't just the people inside the city, this is the people outside the city that have experienced things going on in Sodom. They said, this place is no good. The outcry was great. The people were talking about how bad this place was, and it wasn't just one part of the town, it was the whole place. So even though Abraham recognized the lousy choices and the ugliness prevalent in Sodom, that their sin was grave, he still chose to go out on a limb and appeal to God to save them. You know, Abraham could have just requested, Lord, those evil people, those those sodomites that are not righteous, we'll take care of them. Destroy them and just save the righteous. But he didn't do that. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Instead, he appeals, he intercedes on behalf of the entire population of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was to be a blessing, we're told. Abraham was to be a blessing to all of the nations of the earth, all of the nations, including Sodom. So as as Abraham stands, you can just envision Canaan, the hills of Canaan are about three thousand feet higher than the plains down where Sodom was, three thousand feet. So so as Abraham's looking down there, with the Lord standing next to him, he doesn't look down, he sees the mess, but he doesn't seek their demise, rather he desires them to be spared. As I read this, I have to admit I'm convicted of how often I don't pray for others. I don't seek to intercede for the righteous or for the unrighteous for that matter regularly <laughs> and I'm on the prayer team here at Central. I was actually I was raised in a home looking back that I think was somewhat judgmental of people. If folks were making bad decisions in life or causing grief to society, I came to believe that it was likely their own fault. And whatever's going to happen, they had it coming. For the past 30 years, I've been earning a living as a pilot, an airplane pilot, and I've thoroughly enjoyed my job. One aspect of my career that is rewarding is that I've lived in many parts of of Canada. My first flying job in 1990 was in a place called, uh, well, I was working out of Pickle Lake, Ontario. Pickle Lake is uh, the the northernmost community accessible by all-weather road. There's their claim to fame. Uh, It's remote. I was flying float planes out of there, and um, my first flying job there, and so I was, Flying flow planes up to and in between several of the First Nations reservations. I made many Ojibwe friends there as I as I would overnight in these communities a few times a week. I knew one fellow there, pretty good guy, Albert Nishnappis. Albert was married, he had a few kids. Albert was a pretty nice guy. He was hilarious, he's funny, hospitable, but Albert wasn't perfect. Albert had a drinking problem. And his problem became his wife and his kids' problem as Albert was prone to physical abuse and violence. One afternoon I arrived into Nibanamic, pull up to the dock, and I was asked sorry, by Albert's wife and family to a nearby community that or to fly his family to a nearby community as things were pretty scary for them right now. Standing on the dock, I asked, was well, this everyone? And they said, No, it's 13-year-old won't come out of the house. So I walked up the little hill there, uh, up to the front door of the house. It was locked. I knocked. There was no answer. Heard the music in behind, loud music. Fearing for the kid, I kicked the door in. Sitting in front of me in the door is, hanging from the rafters, is a noose. So I jumped up on a stool. I cut down the noose. With the rope of my hand, I go into the little room in the back. And there's this 13-year-old kid. <laughs> I wasn't getting emotional. Sorry. This is a long time ago. <laughs> um, there's this 13-year-old kid kind of curled up on his bed. Rocking back and forth. Trying to gain the courage to end his own life. To escape this lousy situation that he was in. Since that time, I've experienced poor situations in poverty here in Canada, Brazil, Haiti, Ethiopia, Malawi. You know, the boy in Nibbanamek, there in Summer Beaver in Ontario, or children or other adults, for that matter, in challenging situations. They didn't choose to be born there. Yes, as they grow up and mature, they'll have to make good choices over poor ones. But I wonder how difficult it is to even recognize a good decision over a poor one, when dysfunction has been the only environment they have known. We see some of these tragic circumstances here in our own communities, people making really bad choices. Now, I'm not for a minute excusing unlawful behavior. We require the enforcement of law and good social conduct in society. But I can't help but wonder how many of these people's lives didn't start in the best of environments that would nurture A strong moral compass, or any morality for that matter. Abraham understood that none of these people were beyond redemption. He understood that none of them were beyond the grasp of God. Many times my actions or lack thereof demonstrate that I lack the faith of Abraham. The beautiful thing is that we read that no one is beyond hope. In Jeremiah 29, 13, we read, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Deuteronomy four twenty nine, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, and if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Sodom and Gomorrah were likely generationally corrupt cities. The majority of the population had lost sight of the goodness and appropriate conduct. They unlike Abraham, had chosen not to seek God. And yet Abraham chooses to intercede for them with God. Well, Abraham bartered down to what he figured, you know, was as far as he could reasonably go. You know, if there were ten righteous, Lord, would you spare all these people? The bartering ends. Abraham's intercession for the people ends. Jesus walks one way, and Abraham returns to his camp. Spoiler alert for next week probably, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, so obviously ten righteous were not found. Which brings us back to our other unanswered question, why did God think it necessary for Abraham to participate in this intercession, and yet experience the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Of course, a big reason is likely to enable Abraham to align his will, his understanding of justice with gods, I think that's often when we pray, that's, what, that's what's happening. And if he was to experience the destruction of these people, he'd better understand why this was appropriate. To kind of get an inner glimpse as to why this would be an appropriate response of God. But I also think that God revealing his plan to Sodom was an opportunity to allow Abraham to see what is in store for anyone not seeking God. In verse 17... Says, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? God recognized that it is good for Abraham to understand there are consequences to unrighteousness. He says again, It says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken to him. If Abraham's going to be a good leader, if he's going to be the father of nations, if he's going to teach the children and households well, then he'll require a strong sense of God's righteousness and judgment. God recognizes the need for Abraham to understand the state of men, the sinfulness of men. Abraham was to be the leader, the originator of a people who would demonstrate the attributes of God. And Abraham had to understand, yes, God is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is all those things, but he is also God who is holy and just. The people of Sodom were not seeking after God at all. They were actually vehemently opposed to God, and anybody who would, as we find out next week, anybody that actually would be in favor or supporting and representing God. So being separated from God means we are destined for destruction. Not just physically, more importantly, spiritually. Our existence doesn't end when we breathe our last. Our physical end is unlikely to come as catastrophic as Sodom, where a huge event wipes out an entire city. For most of us in Western society, our spiritual separation from God comes more through the luxuries of this life, an independent life from God, and ends when physical illness or old age takes us. Life on earth is relatively short. We are told that if we, like Abraham, by faith, pursue God, then we are not destined for destruction, but rather for eternity with God. This is a good story. Can you imagine, though, the grief carried by Jesus? He's just had this discussion with Abraham, knowing the hearts of Sodom, and subsequently walking away knowing their plight. Can you imagine the grief carried by Jesus, knowing the hearts of millions of men after Abraham, who would choose to reject him reject God, not seek after God. Can you imagine this timeless God entering the space of Abraham, choosing to be in relationship with man, knowing that the day will come about 1,700 years later where he will re-enter time again as a babe in manger and set things right. John 3, 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish But have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, uh, over the Easter weekend, um, Tamika and I were able to spend a few days in, Cali- in Southern California. I was flying some people down there for, for meetings with my work and Tomiko was invited to join us. Um, Tamika and I are actually going through some uh, pretty challenging times right now and uh, with some stress. And so I thought, you know, getting away, I know it's not going to solve our problems, but I did desire that we could just escape for a few days. So our first night in California, we check into the hotel. We wanted some munchies. We saw a Ralph's grocery store just a short walk away. So we walk out of the hotel, and separating us from the Ralph's is about a six-lane roadway. Now, I'm not talking interstate or anything like that, but it's a pretty busy roadway, six lanes. The crosswalk is about half a block away. Yeah, right. You know where this is going, right? So I'm standing here. The crosswalk's over there, and I said, Tomiko, let's go. So I kind of grab, boom. Well, we made our way across the first three lanes of traffic onto the narrow median. I thought this was going great. Tomiko thought I was an idiot. She said, I hate this. It's okay, three lanes to go. Zip across the other three lanes. One lane, two lane, three lanes. Up onto the curb. I thought, yes, we made it. Unfortunately, as we cleared the third lane, Tomiko says, I dropped my phone. (laughs) And of course, me being the dummy says, why weren't you holding on to your phone? Well, I saw it there, and instinctively, I went to jump back on the roadway. Tomiko grabs me by the shoulders. a car zips by. There's the phone. The car missed me, but it didn't miss her phone. <laughs> the front tire, the phone was lying flat on, on the surface. Front tire comes over, runs over the front part of the phone, it flips up in the air, it's almost like slow motion. No! Falls back, the rear wheels drive over the other side of the phone. I knew at that moment that my chances of surviving this next few days with my wife would depend on the next two seconds as I looked at this phone. Perhaps I thought it would have been good had that car hit me instead of the phone. Tamiko's life is on that phone. You know, contacts, pictures, emails, texts. Like, it's a big deal. Was there even a 50-50 chance for my survival, I thought. My heart jumped for joy. When I picked up her phone, I hit the home screen, popped back to life. I thought, yes! Thank you, Otterbox Defender. I got lucky. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I got lucky. But I'd like to tell you, Our destiny by God's grace doesn't rely on luck. Our moving from being condemned to not condemned isn't based on luck. Our existence, our life after death, it doesn't rely on luck. We either choose to accept Christ or we choose to reject Him. There's no middle ground, there's no luck or chance involved. My salvation, however, you know, it does involve me, but it's not about me. My salvation, it involves me, but it doesn't, it's not about me. I can't earn it. I can't work for it. I can't be good enough for it because that would require perfection. And there's only one perfect man, and that was Jesus Christ. And it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I can do, it's about what Christ has done for me already. As we trust him, we are justified and we receive his righteousness. As the people of Sodom will be found to be righteous or not. There is no third option. We can't ignore or pass by God's judgment. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I'm sure some of you in here right now are feeling this is the biggest bunch of garbage I've heard in a while. But I just... I just ask you, I implore you, take the time, ask the questions, seek God a little bit. Ultimately, each one of us has a decision to make. We may have been kicked around, we made bad choices ourselves, but if we pursue Jesus and his righteousness, we will not perish. A few verses, easy ones in Romans to remember. We know that Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody in Sodom, everybody in Moses' time, everybody in Christ's time, everybody in today's time are sinful and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that the consequence of this, the wages of those sins, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God demonstrated this love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It becomes a confession of faith, a belief in our heart. We will be saved. No luck involved. That's the wit. You know, if there's any reason that you've been holding out, I ask you to identify that reason today. Come to terms with it. Please get right with Jesus and experience the love and the peace that only he can provide. If you haven't made that decision... Or if you're unsure about it, I invite you to make that decision right now. Don't leave this place. I ask you to bow your heads. We're just going to pray. If you haven't prayed this prayer, just repeat the words in your heart after me. So I'll just close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I know I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I ask you to take control of my life as I turn away from my sins. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. If this is the first time you've prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you afterward. I just want to remind you as well, if there's anybody that you'd like to intercede for, to pray for, yourself, other people in your life, we always provide folks, and you want to do that with somebody. We always provide people after the service that are that are happy to pray with you, and uh, please make use of that opportunity. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your long weekend. Thank you.